Tonight, I want to share with you a very important message with a very interesting title, The Judas and Silas Christian, or The Judas and Silas Believer. Amen. The Judas and Silas Believer. And when I talk about the believer, I'm talking about the one that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many believers. I was told a very interesting story recently that there was some criticism about God and Christianity on an atheist platform. And somebody who is supposed to be an atheist wrote and said, thank God I don't believe in Christ. And I said to myself, which God is he thanking? Indirectly, he has even acknowledged the existence of God. And so there are different kinds of believers. Even atheists believe something. They believe there is no God. So they are believers too. So the Bible teaches us that there are believers. And the Christians I'm talking about here are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not as someone who is one of the prophets. But when we talk about the believer, we are referring to the one that believes. That Jesus Christ is God the Son. And that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And that his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient for the redemption of humanity from all their sins, past, present, and future. This is the believer. Amen. And that believer, based on this belief, walks and practices a lifestyle consistent with the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the believer. Not just the one that goes to church, but I'm talking about the believer. Sometimes when we gather as Christians, we say, oh, as a believer, he shouldn't do that. We have to find out whether that person who comes to church is actually a believer according to the definition I've given to you. Because the Satan also believes there is God. But we're talking about the one that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. Amen. And so there are different kinds of people that profess many things. But when we study the Bible, we find various characters that every now and then teaches us how the Christian, the believer, must live their lives. And as I was studying Acts chapter 15, I came across two gentlemen and the description given of them was not what they said of themselves but what the church and what the holy spirit led the bible writers to also write concerning these two gentlemen and i believe they make a very important character study that should be the yardstick for our walk and as believers so that one day every one of us within the range of the sound of my voice should be described like this Amen. And so in Acts chapter 15, the background to Acts 15 was that churches were being planted around as the early church practiced church planting and church growth and discipleship. And the Bible says that there was the church that was planted in Antioch. And whilst Paul was there teaching the people, the Bible says there was an argument that came up that some of the Jews who have become believers 
were thinking that the Gentiles who were getting saved in places like Antioch and other places, they still need to obey the law of Moses, otherwise our salvation is not complete. And this led to such a sharp argument that Paul and Barnabas had with the people in Antioch and some of the believers who were Jews, who still believe that those who are not Jews are not truly saved unless they combine salvation in Jesus Christ with the law of Moses. And so that led to a delegation being sent from Antioch to Jerusalem to the church headquarters so that they will find answers from the apostles and bring it back to settle this very important argument that was rearing itself up in the church. And when the church gathered to consider the matter, a decision was made. Peter spoke and made reference to the fact that the Gentiles don't really need the law of Moses to be saved. And he made reference to his encounter in, the, in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. The fact that these people who were not Jews were filled with the Holy Ghost when they believed. And they spoke in tongues like the early apostles when they had gathered in Acts chapter 2. And then in chapter 11, Paul Peter was brought before the council and explained to them that just as God gave them the same gift as he gave to us, then we can't argue that the Gentiles are not saved. So Peter brought up that argument in the chapter 15 council meeting. And then the Bible says James, who was then the chairman of the meeting, also concluded and said that we need to send a delegation from headquarters to the churches in the Gentile territory and explain to them that they don't need to do these things that the others are saying. That they don't need to be saved by obeying the, the law of Moses. And that all that they need to do is to be believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then also ensure that they are not practicing paganism. And so they told them that they are supposed to stay away from idols, from food offered to idols, from blood that is sprinkled. Now you find these same things in the law of Moses. So the argument will be, are the apostles contradicting themselves when they say you don't need that, but they are telling them not to do this too. But what they are doing was that in those pagan territories, there is the sacrifice of blood, the, the jugular vein, the vein, the main vein to the, in the neck that goes to the heart, uh, from the heart to the head. That vein, which is so important, when it's cut, anybody will die. They slaughter animals that way and they drink the blood raw. And then after that, they engage in sexual orgies as part of their worship of their idols. And so what the apostles were emphasizing was not necessarily going back to the law of Moses of sacrifices and ablutions, but it's telling them that connecting yourself with what idol worshippers do does not define your Christianity. If you are saved, you don't need to engage yourself in these things. That's why I said food that have been sacrificed to idols. And also blood, the blood is talking about there is the blood that has been strangled, the, uh, the animal that has been cut, um, the, the, the blood from an animal that has been sacrificed to a God that the people drink raw. And then also he talks about the fact that animals that have been strangled um, should not, these are all sacrifices, these are connections, these are dedications. So when you are found doing it, you indirectly, you are in contact with the deity that they worship. So the church was trying to take them out of that sort of thing, that when you are born again and you are a believer, you don't practice what unbelievers practice. And so that is why that instruction was given. And then the Bible tells us that they decided to send to them two people to accompany Paul. 
And these two are the subject of our message today. The Bible says, and I and as I was meditating, I look into the message Bible and I love the, the description there. So I'll be looking at it from there, but we will, we will read um, very soon from, from the message. But I want us to see from the New Living Translation or from the King James, the New King James as it will come on the screen. So the Bible tells us that in the verse number 22, then the apostles and elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem chose delegates. And they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on this decision. The men chosen were two of the church's leaders, Judas, also called Barsabbas. So the Judas here, in case you saw the title, I'm not referring to the one that betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm talking also about this apostle, this great servant of God. They were in the church. At this stage, they were then not seen. They were not part of the twelve. The twelve, remember, the one that replaced Judas was Matthias. So it was still not this very Judas. This is an active Christian who has grown in church, and his character is worth emulating. The Bible says Judas and Silas. I love the fact that they are the last letter in their names rhymes. It's all in S. Judas and Silas. When you have twins, Kobe, when you have twins. After you marry, Kobina will have twins when he gets married, and uh, he will name them Judas and Silas. But I know he will be afraid to name the Judas. So you can you can put James there. It also ends in an S. This is the letter they took with them. This letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teachings. Ladies and gentlemen, anytime we see strange teaching, we don't have to be diplomatic. When you read the Bible, immediately they rise against it. Because teaching makes all the difference between going to heaven and hell. So the apostles, immediately they see erroneous teaching, they immediately deal with it. So they say some people from the church came to you in the branches and they have troubled you with their teaching, but we did not send them. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. I love the church. They didn't send them Barnabas and Paul. They knew Paul and Barnabas had argued in their branch. So they know their decision and their position. If they send the same people back, their people will still not believe them. So they have to send neutral others to come along with them to emphasize their position. But not just anybody, but some people who carry some weight. Hallelujah. And the Bible said that, so we decided having come to complete agreement to send you official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. So the messengers went at once to Antioch, where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. And there was a great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, 
spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. They stayed there for a while, and they returned back to the church in Jerusalem with a blessing of peace. Amen. Now, when I read this in the Message Bible, it brought out four descriptions of this man, this Silas and Judas. And I believe that every believer must aim, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ being our standard, that when we look into the scriptures concerning these two men that accompanied Paul and Barnabas, who were sent by the church, they serve as an example of how the believer should be. In fact, I was so inspired by them that I love the description and I desire to constantly be like them. Amen. They are so wonderful. First of all, I want you to understand that at this point, these men, remember, they were not part of the elite 12 apostles. They were not. But they have grown in the church and have become leaders in the church. May you stay in the church and grow in the church and become a leader in the church. The Bible says in the verse 22 to 23 from the Message Bible, the Bible says everyone agreed, the apostles, leaders, and all the people. And so they picked Judas, who was also called Barsabbas, and Silas. They both carried considerable weight in the church. Number one, the men that were chosen, they had considerable weight in the church. Considerable weight. These men, it's not that if you put them on a scale, they are heavy. They are not obese. We are talking about spiritual obesity. They carry power and weight in the church. In other words, they have positive influence. The church in the headquarters looked into the whole church and picked two, these two men and sent them to Gentile territory. Remember, they were talking about Antioch, Cilicia, all those other places. And they believed that every branch these two guys will enter, respect will be accorded them because they have head of them in headquarters. They carried considerable weight. Their opinion matters. Biblical opinion, their biblical scholarship, the understanding of the word of God, their conduct, their behavior, their character, all this combined fits the description of people having considerable weight in the church. The question is, when such a time comes for the church, would you fit this description that you carry considerable weight? That instead of Bishop James going to a branch to go and say something that is so important, he can just call you and say, go and say it in my name. And the people will believe it as it is. Because Peter was there, he didn't go. One would have expected Peter would go immediately to branch and sort matters out. This is a serious matter. Peter didn't move. James didn't move. John didn't move. Philip didn't move. Bartholomew didn't move. None of the twelve moved. They look into the congregation, we'll find somebody equal to us. Somebody without a title. A believer of a believer. Tonight, do you carry weight? You see, when, when the weight you carry in the church is so strong, even when you go to work, that weight will follow you. That when the office needs somebody of integrity, they will call you to go and represent them. The believer must be a light. Hallelujah. I love this description. They had considerable weight in the church. It means that when it came to anything concerning the doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ, they don't need title. They have studied it. 
They have availed themselves. Their presence in church is not only in attendance and ticking of a box, but every ministration has imparted them, is part of them, and they exhibit it and learn it and practice it. So the church detected these ones, they carry weight. When it goes to house fellowship, they were there, they carry weight. They carry weight at departments. They carry weight all throughout the church. The Bible says they have considerable weight in the church. Hallelujah. Positive influence. Where is your influence as a believer? In Jesus' name. Who do you influence in the church? When it comes to dealing with issues concerning the Christian faith, do you carry considerable weight? Hallelujah. Our Christianity must be seen in action. And the Bible teaches us that they looked into the people and chose such people. They have considerable weight in the church. They are respected. Their opinion is respected. They didn't force themselves on anybody. Their actions, their conduct, their behavior, it showed it. And the word of God especially, because you see, they are being sent to go and deal with a doctrinal issue. And that would have called for an apostle to go. And yet the apostle looked into the congregation and said, a believer that carries considerable weight is equivalent to me. It's all right. They can go and deliver this. May we testify of you that way. May this be your inspiration in Jesus' name. The second thing that I learned about them with the scripture used to describe them can also be found in the verse number 25. The Bible said, so they looked into the people and the Bible says, verse 23 tells us, and they sent them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas with the letter. Verse 25 says that we picked men we knew you could trust. Hallelujah. Amen. Judas and Silas. They said, we picked men whom you could trust. We know you could trust them. We know you trust us, but I'm telling you, we are presenting you someone, two people, who we know you will trust them. Because when it comes to the work of God, and when it comes to any level of relationship, and any door of blessing, trust is key. Can they trust you? Can the church trust you? Men, the apostles knew the churches could trust that's how they wrote the letter. They said, we, we have heard that some men from our church went to you and said things that confused and upset you. Mind you, they had no authority from us. We didn't send them. We have agreed unanimously to pick representatives and send them to you with our good friends, Paul and Barnabas. We pick men we knew you could trust. Judas and Silas, we knew you could trust them. Can pastor trust you? Can the church trust you to represent the church? Hallelujah. Can you be trusted with the word of God? Or you bend the rule of the word? Can you be trusted with money? Hallelujah. Can you be trusted with money? Because the, the main areas when it comes to integrity is financial integrity. Can you be trusted with money? If you have church money, would you use it as your own or is for the church? If the department's money is with you, is it going to be used to buy a shoe and later buy, pay later? 
if the company's money is with you, would you handle it well? Because when we don't have financial integrity, we will easily steal. Because greed moves are not only for church, but anything that is so precious, can you keep it well in the spirit with which it was committed to your hands? Because if we can't be faithful financially, I am afraid we can't be faithful in taking care of a soul. Because the soul is more expensive than the money. So if we can be unfaithful with money, we can easily be unfaithful with people. When young people come around you, can you be faithful in handling them in integrity? Hallelujah. The Bible says, men we knew the churches could trust. Are you trustworthy? Can people trust you with the word of God that the word concerning any matter, you are going to speak the truth of the word. You won't bend it any way, anyhow. Hallelujah. Can you be trusted with faithfulness, holiness, integrity? Can you be trusted with confidentiality? That when an information comes to you, when you have not been told to spread it, you don't spread it. There are some people in church. Sometimes you can, you see, when you are a pastor, one of the greatest strengths of a great leader is the unassuming nature of the pastor or the leader. Don't, don't be fooled by it. It's a skill. It's a skill. We act like we haven't seen. When God asks you a question, you think almighty God is ignorant of the answer. When he asks Adam, where are you? You think he didn't know. If you were Adam, you think, oh, he doesn't know. I will lie. Don't lie. <laughs> One day, Gehazi had a shock of his life. Elisha asked him, where have you been? He said, oh, apostle, <laughs> I have been praying on the prayer topics. Ah, Pastor Emmanuel, didn't you say we are praying over the whole of Zurich to get Zurich saved? I have been dealing with the prayer topic. We said, Bishop said we should pray. Then the man of God looked at him and said, look at you. Gehazi of Christ court. Gehazi of glory court. Didn't my spirit go out with you at the junction when you collected the bribes of clothing and gold in my name, behold, the leprosy of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and your descendants forever. And the Bible says immediately he, does, he left the presence of Elisha, white as leprous, white like snow. He had an imported leprosy because he is not trustworthy. When there are some people in church, when you pass a certain message, you can time them like a clock, like stopwatch. <laughs> Within the next one hour, the thing will spread, and you know where it came from. Sometimes you just look at it, just laugh. Some <laughs> people, no matter how much they apply for leadership, you won't put them in leadership. Because leadership goes with confidentiality. Trust is key. See, a lot of people are carrying burdens and problems. Ministry is such a mystery. That you see, we all know from psychology that a problem shared is half solved. When someone is going through some crisis, if they can find someone to share it with, once they offload it, at least is the beginning of the process of their recovery. But when the church becomes a place where you can't confide in anybody, 
we are killing the people in church. Because they are having issues they can't discuss with anybody. And if they bottle them in for a long time, they'll start having depression. So sometimes, when it comes to the work of the ministry, confidentiality is so key. Some people, their mouth... The Bible says that Judas and Silas went into this meeting and the church could trust them and they said that we believe the branches will also trust them. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. Are you trustworthy? Can you be trusted? Can you be trusted with information? Can you be trusted with prayer topics to pray for Brother Charles who is looking for a wife? That you will not tell the whole world about this. I just informed the whole church and the whole world. But if I call you and say, I want you to pray on this prayer topic, can we trust you with that? See, Judas and Silas could be trusted that they don't go into Antioch to go and share with them. In fact, when we're even taking this decision, in fact, Paul and James had a serious argument. You don't bring that one out. You are not BBC. You are not breaking news. We want to break news. It's not every news that is breaking. Hallelujah. The reason why sometimes people can't trust the church is because trust in terms of holding on to information they shared for their well-being is being compromised. He said, men that we believe the churches could trust. Hallelujah. Can people trust you with their daughters and their sons without you abusing them? But these were then not apostles. They were active Christians who have grown into leadership. The pastors, the apostles who walk with Jesus Christ, some of whom were on the mount with him and saw him and saw Moses and Elijah. These guys were around. John was there. And Peter was there in this meeting, and yet they looked into the church and decided to send Silas and Judas. What a testimony. What kind of Christians are these? May you be that kind of believer in the name of Jesus. Men, the apostles knew the new churches could trust. That even if they come in with the word, they will not bend the rules for anything. They will be pure and they will stand to where the truth is. You know, sometimes leaders make mistakes with bad counseling. And I was dealing with a matter a few days ago. And see, one person is going through some challenge with the spouse. But the person who is handling the case is not helping matters. In that he's not telling any of them they were wrong. So he meets the man and says, oh, I've listened to all that has been said. You know, your wife is wrong. Your wife is wrong. He won't tell the man he's wrong. Your wife is wrong. When he meets the, man, the wife, say, oh, I've heard everything. The problem is your husband. <laughs> it's not, see, both of them, so they all feel good. It means that the problem will be repeated because if the man is making a mistake, as far as his pastor hasn't said he's done anything wrong, so he keeps on repeating it. So the thing goes on. It's just because he's afraid to deal with one because they carry something they bring to him all the time. <laughs> but when you can be trustworthy, you speak the truth irrespective whether it will dry your daily bread, God will provide. In Jesus' name. This is the believer that we need. 
This is the Judas and Silas believer, not needed only in the church, but in the workplace. Glory to Jesus. What has happened to our trustworthiness? A few days ago, there was such a breaking news in Ghana that a taxi driver returned an amount of money that a, you know, a passenger had left in his vehicle. Some big money. And he returned it and they were grateful. And from there, it became breaking news. You know, vice president giving him money. People were giving him money. Now they are donating cars to him and all of that. And as it's going on, you know, even his church came out and they claim him. <laughs> they claim him from everybody. But all that is good. But I had a problem. I had a challenge with that. My challenge was Ghana, statistically, is 75% Christian. So it's a Christian nation. In fact, majority of the people go to church, including all the people in government. They go to church. If this will be breaking news, then that tells you it is rare. So what is wrong with the practice of our faith? Like this should not be anything. It should be the normal thing. But when this is not a normal thing, it means that the Christians in the country, there is something wrong with their Christianity. Because, it should, I mean, it should be a country who is known not to believe God. And then they say somebody has returned money. This is breaking news. But when a country that believes God and the people in it are Christians of the highest order, <laughs> and somebody retains this and is breaking news, then something, something is wrong. It means it is rare. That's why you see corruption all over. It's rare. It's rare. May God help us that our trust can be reflected everywhere. Brighten the corner where you are with the light of God that is in you. The apostles knew the new churches could trust such people. One day, if we have to send you to go and deal with something on behalf of the church, can we say this about you? Will the branches accept you? Would they accept you? Number three. Verse 26 tells us the same thing. The Bible says, We pick men we knew you could trust, Judas and Silas. They have looked death in the face time and again for the sake of our master Jesus Christ. The Bible says they have looked death in the face. The King James says, These men have hazarded their lives for the sake of the gospel. Praise God. Can you sacrifice for Christ? These people, one of the reasons why there's a character to learn is that they have seen, they have looked at death. Eh? You have threatened them with death. Say, death, bring it on. So long as it's about the Lord Jesus Christ and the integrity of the gospel, bring it on. When you are threatened because of your faith, can you stand? Some of us, our noise is all in the church room. It's all safe there. But when we go out and our job will be threatened because we are believers, would we stand our ground and believe God? Men who have looked death in the face time and again, not once. This is also the reason why the apostles picked them from the congregation and said, you can go and face anything. We know whoever comes to attack you, you are ready to stand for the integrity of the word of God. Come death. And like Paul himself, he said, if you threaten me with death, you are even confusing me. You are giving me two options. 
if you kill me, I will appear immediately before my maker, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm eager to see him. So if you do, you are fast-tracking my movement. If you keep me around, I will continue to preach. Choose you this day. Which one you will do? May we have set believers in Jesus' name. They look at death in the face and say, bring it on. I am not afraid of you. The Bible says they were threatening this man. That means they have been threatened with death. But they still continue to preach the gospel. And like Esther said, if I perish, I perish. I have come to realize those who have got, if I perish, I perish. For the sake of the gospel mentality, they never perish. They never perish. They understand the word of God. Jesus said that the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You should rather be afraid of the one that will destroy soul and spirit in hellfire. And not the one that just kills only the body. May the Lord help us. That our faith will be so strong. These ones could face death for the sake of the gospel. Some of you, you are only afraid of even mockery. Mockery. Mere mockery of men. You're afraid that people are going to say, oh, look at the Bible bashes. And they are coming here with their trust. Get out of here. And then you feel so embarrassed. Adversely hit. Mere Bexley hit. If you can't do Bexley hit, can you do Windsor? Can you do White House? Can you do Buckingham Palace? Ladies and gentlemen, the world is moving into some terrible places. But that does not remove the fact that Jesus Christ is coming very soon. Where would you be able to preach this gospel if you find yourself in Afghanistan? In places where they really kill people for preaching the gospel. Maybe I'm taking you far tonight to Afghanistan. But in Nigeria, a student has been killed for her faith. Muslims came, dragged her out of the class and killed her. Killed her just like that. And said she has, she has blasphemed their, their prophet. I mean, you ask yourself, in this day and age, there are believers suffering the northern part of Nigeria and some of them are still holding on in faith. <laughs> we are happy in the snow. And it's, it's cold. It's cold. I can't go out there to go and share. You are sharing tractor and it's cold. How can you be a Judas and Silas believer when only snow? When it's summer, you said it's too hot. When it's cold, you said it's too cold. So where do you stand? Where can you be described as someone who has looked death in the face for the sake of our master Jesus Christ? What can you sacrifice for the gospel? Some of us, we can't even sacrifice our reputation for Christ. Because we are shy of people for the sake of Christ. He hung there naked. We have not asked you to go naked. He went naked for you. What are you ashamed of for him? May the Lord help us in Jesus' name to become this kind of Christian. I want to be a Judas and Silas believer. They sacrifice for Christ. Can we sacrifice our time? Who has threatened you since you became a believer? Has anybody threatened you for, for preaching the gospel? <laughs> you have not been preaching. You have not been preaching. Nobody has threatened you. Move to the level where you can be threatened. Move to the level where people are uncomfortable with the message you are preaching. 
Recently at a, at a pastor's meeting, I met a young man. He came and said, he's apostle something. He called himself apostle. <laughs> I said, hey, do you know who an apostle looks like? What have you been preaching? If you have been preaching all the time and they are clapping for you, you are not an apostle. Check the apostles in the Bible. When they preach, they stone them. Have anybody stoned you? <laughs> Where you are, there are no even stones. <laughs> you are sitting on social media. You, don't, you, you haven't got any stone. You have called yourself apostle. <laughs> the apostles in the scriptures, they beat them when they finish preaching. The prophets, they beat them. When you bring a word from God, it won't go down well with everybody. <laughs> this man is back. Hallelujah. May the Lord help us. May we teach Christ so strongly that we will not regret when we leave this earth. In the mighty name of Jesus. Finally, the Bible described them in the verse 32 that they were good preachers. The King James called them prophets. They were prophets. Because the definition, the prophetic ministry brings rebuke, exhortation, and encouragement. First Corinthians chapter 14 tells us that when we prophesy, we edify. That means you build up. You also rebuke. Brings encouragement as well. So they were good encouragers. They were prophets. They were good preachers. Because every true prophet is a good preacher. And when we talk about good preaching, it's not the one that only tickles the ears. But that which encourages. Sometimes we don't have the words of encouragement. Many people don't know how to encourage. Sometimes when they come to encourage, they only provide examples of all the negative things that happen to somebody else. So if we are to encourage somebody who has suffered miscarriage, we don't go about and say, eh, hey, yes, we know Sister W, she also had miscarriage. Sister, they ask Sister W, do you know what that one is going through right now? Sister, the joy, Sister Joy, who is sitting there, who has just suffered miscarriage. Do you know what the pain in her heart? Have you asked God for the right words to minister to that person? Rather than providing examples of those who suffered miscarriage. And what was their outcome? See, if we provide that example and we come in to say that those people stood firm, they prayed, they changed, and later on they had three children, that is better. But most of the time, it stops with one example of how it didn't go well with Sister W, Sister V. It didn't go well. Sister Z. It didn't go well. Sister Epsilon. It didn't go well. All those ones. It didn't go well with them. You're, you're, you are not. You see, Job had some people. They came to visit him, and he finally described them as miserable comforters. You are, because they are looking for blame. But these ones, the Bible says, they are good preachers. They are good encouragers. They were prophets of God that carried the word of encouragement. Ladies and gentlemen, the church is a hospital. It's a spiritual hospital. People who come to church, they are all not well. Amen. They are not well. Not all of them. <laughs> so you have to be an encouraging voice to them. You have to know when to rebuke, when to correct, and when to admonish, when to encourage. Many people, they need encouragement. The Bible says they went, they delivered the message, and they stayed on and ministered to the people until the people were settled. Encouragement, exhortation. May God anoint us with what it takes to be 
people who can exhort others. Exhort, E-X-H-O-R-T. is different from E-X-A-L-T. Sometimes I see people mix it up. To exalt means to lift up. So that's why we use it in worship. We exalt God, E-X-A-L-T, God. But we can't exhort God, E-X-H-O-R-T. That is encouragement. So that's why I say, give us a word of exhortation. See, not exaltation, but exhortation. That means a word of encouragement. At which point do we know what to bring up to share? Sometimes it's better not to speak than to speak. Sometimes when you are encouraging someone, sometimes your presence is all that they need. When you are not inspired to speak, thou shalt not speak, you may make things worse. As it is said, sometimes when you stand before great men and everybody believes that there's something wrong with you, it is better to hold your mouth rather than open it and then you remove all doubt. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. The Bible says, they said, we pick this man because they are good preachers. And look at the verse 33. In the 32, it says that Judas, so they sent them off. On arrival, they gathered the church, read the letter to them. The people were greatly relieved and pleased. See why they were trusted. They were told when you get there, gather the people. They got there, they gathered the people. They told them, read the letter to them. They didn't say, put it aside, let me tell them what I think. No. They said, when you get there, read the letter. So they got there, they read the letters. Then the Bible said, one of the reasons why they sent them was because they are good preachers. In other words, they are good encouragers of the word of God. Prophets, they declare the word of God. And the Bible says, they, both of them, strengthened their new friends with many words of courage and hope. Hallelujah. They strengthened them with words of courage and hope. May we be so anointed. May we be believers full of the word, that at any point in time, we'll be able to bring out a word that will bring hope and courage to people. When people are giving up, we'll be able to tell them, through the word of God, there is hope for the future. It may appear broken, but it is not completely off. Tell them that the, you know, a bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. Tell them there's hope for the future. Tell them God's word says so. So long as you are not dead, God has a plan for you. And don't only tell them all the good things they want to tell, to, to hear. Also, through a good preacher, is able to tell them the cautions in the word of God. That if you walk with God, you must walk in line with the word of God. That when things are not even working well, it's still not a license to sin as protest. Sometimes immature believers think they will sin as protest to God that he's delaying. Joseph could have done that in prison. He could have done that in Potiphar's house. But he's a man that can be trusted. Hallelujah. He still trusted God. Even in prison, he was encouraging other prisoners. May we be like Judas. May we be like Silas. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his great countenance on you and give you peace. May our churches be full of Judas and Silas believers. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Men, that are, men and women that have considerable weight, number one, that the apostles knew that they could be trusted. They are people that can look death in the face and still preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, irrespective of the threat to their lives, economically, physically, socially, and spiritually. And men and women who have the word of God as great preachers, may you have an anointing of the prophet to speak the word in season to them that are weary in the mighty name of Jesus.